Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbert. And I'm Devin Voda. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. Well, it seems like it's been a while since we've done Eco News. So we're going to get to that and uh, bring you a couple of science-related stories that maybe you've heard of in the news recently. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about them, find out uh, some details specifically related to maybe some stories in Pennsylvania and some outside of Pennsylvania. So what did you find this week? So my first story, it's kind of a quicker one. It's on green roofs and how they are helping the bat population. Okay. So the area of study is down by like Millersville University, so down the southern part of the state. They were researching how green roofs might help with the bat population in the area. So if you don't know what a green roof is, it's a vegetated strip crowning the otherwise bare tops of buildings. So if you have just regular uh, roof on your building, you plant some plants up there, get it growing, and it helps. has a lot of benefits, really. Yeah, insulation um, value, I think. Yep. So the story does talk a little bit about some of the benefits of green roofs. If they're well established, they do help to purify the air and reduce some ambient noise. They can absorb up to 65% of the pollutant-laden stormwater that would otherwise run off the roofs. And they actually help cool roof surfaces 30 to 40%. So. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, I didn't know the exact percentage, mm-hmm. but knew that there was some value there. Yeah. They also... As I'll get into a little bit, they attract some other wildlife as well. Some birds, bees, and other pollinating insects, and then bats. Hmm. That's an interesting one. So are we talking just, like, grass? Are we talking other vegetation? Um, they didn't really list in the story specifically what greenery they were using, but, I mean, you can use a variety of things I've seen online. So they did study some different green roofs throughout, like, the Lancaster area. Um, they did five green roofs and then four conventional roofs just to kind of compare for bat studies to see if the green roofs were really bringing in more of a bat population. So what they did is in these areas they placed recording devices that listened from dusk to dawn for several weeks at a time. They then ran the nighttime sounds through computer software that deciphered which sounds came from bats and then identified which bat species specifically were more prominent in those areas. Uh, what they found were uh, hoary bats, big brown bats, and mouse-eared bats in the area. So some pretty prevalent ones that we've seen around here too. So they did find that the bats were attracted to green roofs where a few other elements were nearby as well, such as water, robust tree canopy, and street lights. So different things that are going to bring in more insects. They found that where there was increased light, there were obviously going to be more moths and insects, and also tree canopies that harbor more insect diversity. So that was where bats were more concentrated, so not necessarily just directly to the green roofs, but if there was other things that bats liked in the area, they were going to come around. But they did say that because green roofs provide so many other benefits, they are also great for bats and trying to increase the bat population considering a lot of these species are on the endangered species list in Pennsylvania. So good place, good idea to have green roofs in these areas. Yeah, it's a good take on, you know, uh, a newer idea, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I 
wouldn't think. Yeah. Um, when I talk about green roofs or green infrastructure, mm-hmm. is the the animals that are brought in because of it. So, mm-hmm. so the first story that I found is uh, there was a mountain lion sighting Ooh. down in York, Pennsylvania. So we're still in Pennsylvania at this point, talking about a mountain lion sighting, or maybe two. Okay. So I don't know if you heard about it. Um, it did even make national news. Um, I found articles, you know, down in the York area, but also even Newsweek had covered the story. Um, so on August 23rd, Spring Garden Township Police, they were dispatched to a nearby neighborhood area after receiving a report of a large cat sighting. Okay. So this is pretty common, I think, in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, oh, they, they report mountain lion sightings. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty common, but are there mountain lions in Pennsylvania? I'll put you on the spot. They say no. <laughs> um, so the official take, I think, the, the Pennsylvania Game Commission says that there's no breeding populations. Okay. Um, which makes sense. I'll get into it a little bit more. Did you say, you know, there's a possibility of some being released? Because mm-hmm. there's captive mountain lions. You need, you need a license for them, all that. Sometimes they get out. Mm-hmm. And the other chance is that there's migrating mountain lions. So uh, I'll get into it a little bit more a little bit later, but they do have a range. And uh, mountain lions' range is pretty big. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you keep those two things in mind, you know, there's a potential for mountain lions in Pennsylvania, but there's, they say that there's no breeding population at this point. Okay. Um, so getting back to the, the mountain lion sightings that made the news, like I said, it was in York, and uh, people took pictures of big cats in their backyard. Um, and so the state police were... Yeah, they were called. Mm-hmm. They got to the scene. They put out some warnings. Be careful in this neighborhood. The game commission got involved. Their biologist got involved. Okay. Um, and what they did to try to figure out whether it was actually mountain lion sightings or not, because they didn't capture them, um, they actually built life-size cutouts. Because when you take a picture of, you know, anything far away, mm-hmm. it's hard to judge how big that particular thing is unless you have something else right next to it let's mm-hmm. say if there's a cat in your backyard and there's a soccer ball right next to it well you automatically know that size mm-hmm. right you can judge the size by the the soccer ball next to it there's nothing in that picture to judge the size of the cat so they went to that distance where the cat picture was taken um they put the life-size cutout of a mountain lion versus the size of a cat turns out it was a cat okay right? so that's how they determined it. It's a good idea. Because mm-hmm. um, you see, you know, game cams, people's backyard pictures. There's a lot of things that do look like mountain lions. I've you know, had discussions with uh, a friend of mine. Uh, she showed me pictures of a trail cam. Mm-hmm. I think it was in Springville area. Certainly looks like a mountain lion to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you showed pictures of, you know, somebody sent you a picture. Yep. Same thing. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say unless there's that item right there in the picture mm-hmm. to kind of give you a, a good size of what the animal is. Not to say that they're, you know, not moving through. I'll pause right here and say that there was one, yeah, there was one back in 2011. It was originating out of the Black Hills and it came all the way to Connecticut. So that's like a good 1,500 miles away. Wow. Right, it came from out west, migrated east all the way to Connecticut 
People had actually taken pictures along the way. It's well documented. Scat found in New York State. But what happened was it got hit by a car in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Which is an, uh, another good metric to gauge whether they're actually here. Mm-hmm. We have so many miles of roads for one of the states with the most miles of dirt road. Mm-hmm. If you look at Florida, where there's like you know a couple hundred panthers, mm-hmm. quite a few get hit uh, mm-hmm. every year, and there's only a couple hundred. So you would think that if there's actually a breeding population here, at least one would get hit mm-hmm. every year. And that's because their the range. Their mating range, I think, is like um, 50 to like 300 miles wow. for a, a male, maybe a little bit smaller for a female. 300 square miles. That's, is, yeah. It's like half of Susquehanna County, basically, mm-hmm. for one mountain lion. So they have a big range. They like that big range. They, the, the males fight uh, each other for their range so mm-hmm. they don't move into each other's range. Um, but that just gives you a, a good idea of, you know, the habit or the habitat of a mountain lion and how unlikely it is for them to be breeding in this area. Not that mm-hmm. I wouldn't like to see them back in this area. Mm-hmm. They have an ecological purpose. Um, Absolutely. They balance out other populations like you know, deer population mm-hmm. issue right now. Mm-hmm. And um, it could potentially balance that out. But So yeah, like I said, you know, it was debunked. They found out that it was a house cat or two. It wasn't a mountain lion as people thought but it's not to say that if you think you see a mountain lion they do want to give you a, a hotline number okay. you can call Pennsylvania Game Commission the number is 1-833-742-9453 so if you do see one you think you see one uh, it's a toll free number 1-833-742-9453 okay so, coming back to deer like you were just talking about, that brings us into my last story for this week. Um, it's a study about how they were deer behavior and how it kind of affects our forest and just learning a little bit more about deer behavior in general. Okay. So, for the last decade or so, they have been studying deer and live trapping deer, fitting them with ear tags and GPS collars releasing them and that way they can they're able to track their movements kind of learn where they go different behaviors of the deer um it's pretty cool really what they what all they can do with just these gps trackers yeah um, i definitely have known about them for a while like the gps collars um i haven't personally seen a deer with one in the area but doesn't mean they're not around all right i think that's how they're tracking like the uh wolves in yellowstone mm-hmm. yep Uh, So in 2013, they decided that they wanted to launch this study between the Game Commission, the Borough of Forestry, U.S. Geology Survey, and Penn State. They all had their own reasons for wanting to get involved, Um, but they wanted to see what happens between deer, the soil, and the millions of acres of land that deer roam just in Pennsylvania. Uh, The study won't be wrapped up till 2026. But they have been doing many studies within this bigger study throughout the years. Um, it's offering new nuances to game managers and determining how many deer are taken by hunters each year. And then also gives them a good perspective on how many deer should be culled each year by hunters as well. So it gives a good perspective on that kind of number too. Yeah, I like uh, data-driven studies like mm-hmm. that. It's good. Absolutely. 
one aim of the year-round study is to learn how vegetation responds to changes in deer densities um, and how tweaking it by forest managers could also impact these as, these numbers as well. You wouldn't believe how much of an impact deer have on vegetation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, just being involved with Woodburn, mm-hmm. I know years ago they had deer exclosures, mm-hmm. and there's some studies done on those deer exclosures um, and the amount of native species that thrived inside of those fenced areas mm-hmm. versus outside. It's just crazy. There's mm-hmm. like there's documented species that I had never heard of that were growing inside, like hobblebush, which I. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar no. with but I had never heard of it before. I'm like, does it grow around here? And it turns out it did mm-hmm. um, when deer species or deer population was lower. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that's one thing they kind of touched on was um, do deer really affect like the native species? Um, they did find that the absence of a native plant doesn't always indicate overbrowsing by deer. Deer do get blamed a lot for species being taken out but some species do need very specific climate to grow as well so it's not always the deer's fault necessarily so they did look into some different areas that had higher deer population that these species were found in they were lower um, but also areas that the deer population wasn't as high and these native species still weren't really thriving in that area so it does you do kind of have to take that into account sometimes that it's not always the deer's fault. So that's good to know because I know deer get blamed a lot. <laughs> I blame them. <laughs> <laughs> so they did kind of also look into just some other general insights with deer with tracking them with the GPS trackers. Um, they have captured over a thousand deer, anywhere from fawns to the geriatric buck and doe, um, just to kind of get a good wide range of the animals and see throughout their life how they move about. So the GPS collars do enable them to plot their deer locations over the last 10 years, um, and they are shared online through field diaries on the Game Commission's website if you wanted to check that out. They did say that they actually did capture one female as a fawn in 2003, and they were able to track her age all the way until 2015. Uh, where she was harvested during muzzleloader season. So she was able to live a pretty long life, which isn't very common for deer around here. Yeah. So that was pretty awesome to see these standout numbers sometimes. They also did capture some fawns. Um, they were able to they were able to place small transmitters in birth canals of doe that they were captured so that they could track the location of newborn fawns so they could track that as well kind of gauge some insight on where doe were picking to have their fawns as well they were able to then place collars on the on the fawns and they were they communicated with the mother's collar and they were able to track how often the doe was actually interacting with the fawn they found that they're pretty hands-off really that they only approached the fawn two to three times a day to nurse and then hang around for about 300 feet away from the fawn but other than that the fawn is pretty much alone they did want to note if you do come across a fawn don't touch it they imprint very quickly on anything that moves so leave the fawn alone it'll be okay uh, one other thing that they were able to track with the gps trackers was what time of day the deer are moving 
which is good for hunters to kind of pick up on this information a little bit. Um, a lot of people assume that they move really early, but they actually did find that in the early hours, they spend a lot of their time actually bedded down and finally begin wandering around about 10 a.m. And then their peak movement for buck took place about noon. They rested for the afternoon and then began moving again about 4 p.m. So you might be able to sleep in a little bit longer during hunting season than you thought. That's why I usually <laughs> generally go out after work. There you, yeah. you know, that window of time from about 4 o'clock mm -hmm. to dusk. Yep. I don't know, so I see the most deer. Absolutely. But you don't need to be out first thing in the morning getting out there before the sun comes up necessarily. <laughs> That's great. Other than that, um, they did track one specific buck that they did see ended up having quite a large range, specifically during the rut. He moved, He would move um, like about a five mile range every day. He was moving about five miles with upwards of a mile of elevation difference just during rut during mating season. So the buck you've been spotting might be moving farther away than you think every day. So Yeah, just, it doesn't always happen. You see him yeah. like, you know, <laughs> early fall, you see buck one spot mm -hmm. and you get to archery or, you know, deer rifle. Mm -hmm. You're like, where'd that buck go? Yeah. So just some different cool things that they've been gathering throughout this study the last 10 years, kind of giving people some more insight, helping hunters out, and some other things as well. Yeah, great study. Yeah. All right, well, I do have a couple of events to mention. A while back, I think we talked about New State Park. Yep. So Vosburgh Next State Park is a thing now down in Wyoming County, um, right there on the Vosburgh Neck. So if you travel just north of Tunkhannock on Route 6, you'll probably see some signs for Vosburgh Neck State Park. It's an awesome place. Mm -hmm. um, so... So they do have a couple events coming up, and I just wanted to mention them real quick. So uh, this coming weekend, September 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, they have a mammal ID. You can stop by any time and just, um, I guess it's a station to set up, test your ability to identify mammals, furs, skulls, and scat, okay. kind of like what we did at the fair. Yep. And then they're going to have a yoga event. That's on September 10th at 2 p.m. A Little Explorers, that's Mondays. September 11th, 18th, and 25th, a program for uh, younger children. Mm -hmm. And there's honeybees for little ones. So that's Saturday, September 16th at 1230. So an event for younger kids just talking about honeybees in general. So a couple cool events coming up there. Yeah. And like I said, if you haven't checked it out, it's a really cool place. The river runs through there. We see a lot of eagles there. Yep. So check that place out. I guess that does it for today's show. If you have questions related to our shows, you can contact the Conservation District by calling 570-782-2105. If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes, links to information about past episodes, and a contact form where you can reach out and ask questions about the show. You've been listening to Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Devin Voda. And I'm Don Hibbert saying enjoy the outdoors. <laughs>